Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. I want to talk to you today about communion leads to kindness. Communion leads to kindness. We're not going to take communion, but I'm talking about communion, right? The uh, affection that we have between each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, but even more so, the communion we have, the intimacy we have with God. And when we have this type of communion, not only established, but ongoing, it leads to kindness. You know, the partnership, and by the way, those of you young people who are going out with Pastor Buddy doing evangelism, I know Anna, I think Pauline, and several other ladies are going out Friday nights uh, to the ladies on the streets. There's a lot of evangelism taking place. I know Nathan, Kathy, Nash, these different ones, and maybe there's probably a whole lot more I don't know about. But it's encouraging to see, you know, people don't do evangelism because they wake up one day and think, oh, I need to do evangelism today. (laughs) No, they get moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And your communion with God leads to kindness, to wanting to show to people what it is that you've experienced in the Lord, what you have, and revealing to them what they can also have in the Lord. So the unique relationship between prayer and evangelism is absolutely important. You cannot do one without the other. If you have a praying church, then that church will become evangelistic. If you have an evangelistic church, you always see there's been a foundation of prayer laid. And so I know there's a measure of prayer that we have as a church you know, in different settings. And we've seen an increase in our Friday night prayer gathering, which has been great. So partnership of prayer and evangelism cannot be overlooked, cannot be independent of each other. They're both required in order for salvation to take place in someone's life. Some plant, some water, but it's God who makes things grow. Whenever a church has it figured out on how to get people saved, I think we create methods and structures that can work and God can use, but sometimes we narrow down the opportunity that individual has to have personal revelation of who Jesus is. You see, I don't want people to just say, do step one, do step two, do step three, four, and five. It's not that easy for everybody. Everybody's situation is different. Everybody has different understanding of the Word of God. But what we have to do as a community 
is be a house of prayer so that the presence of the Lord among us will help us in our evangelism and discipleship to give revelation to people in ways that you and I cannot. Amen. The fact that God would even allow us to partner with him in prayer and evangelism should greatly humble us. It should also make us realize that this is why the enemy fights the church. It's not, look, it's easy to come to church on Sunday morning. I'm not saying it's not a sacrifice for some folks, but the reality is, is that the early church is our model, right? And I'm not suggesting that we just meet every day. But I do believe the Lord has challenged us to have 24 hours of prayer every week by splitting it up between at least 12 different groups that are praying on Friday nights. And could you imagine if we go from a a lot less prayer right now into more prayer, what would that do for our community? Amen? What would that do? I believe that some of you are working harder than what you should. I believe your marriages are struggling. I believe that your children are struggling to hear the voice of the Lord because we get so busy and thinking that everything relies upon us that until we shift and get God's heart for prayer, for communion with Him, then it seems like God lifts burdens off of our shoulders because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by His Spirit. Amen. Psalm chapter 8, I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Version. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent, majestic, and glorious is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Look, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Even though He's given us the Bible, the Word of God, we cannot read the Word of God without having eyes to see. <laughs> I'm not just talking about physical eyes, folks. I'm talking about scales falling from your eyes and you not seeing the eyes of sin and, 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 you know, holding yourself back from pursuing the Lord. But when you are intentional about walking by faith and not by sight, it seems like the Word of God becomes so powerful because now we're seeking first His presence. We're seeking His glory. We're seeking His face, not just His hand and what he can do for us he said out of the mouths of babes children infants and unweaned infants you have established strength in other versions it says you have established praise because of your foes that you might silence the enemy and the avenger what does that mean? Are you saying, God, that out of the purity of the cry of an infant that you can destroy the works of the devil? I think so. You know why? Because parents who are walking with the Lord and walking in intimacy with God, they sanctify their children. 
They make their children holy until that child comes to a place of having his own, her own encounter with God. But there is a covering over that children. And I believe that the breath of God that is put on the inside of any individual, somehow God gets praise, God gets glory, God hears things that we don't understand what's being said. I'm not saying babies necessarily have a language of understanding, but there is a cry that I believe makes God aware of that individual beyond what he already knows about them, that he hears a cry from them and says, from that child I'm going to release praise I'm going to release power I'm going to prophesy through their life one day if you don't think so then what happened the first day that Jesus came out of the womb and gave a cry do you think that there's any power in that voice absolutely it's one of the reasons why we call our ministry revival cry is because I heard a Christmas song that was talking about the of baby Jesus and that he released when he was born and then I realized that God wants to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness stick with me friend I'm telling you God is speaking to us I can't get this stuff off of my heart I can't get the, off the fact that God is leading us to a deeper place of prayer and of communion with him he says, when I view and consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained and established, look at what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of earthborn man that you care for him. Who are we? Who are we to think that we're anything before God? All the more reason why we have to give ourselves to a place of prayer. Because God calls us to become a house of prayer. Yet you have made him a little lower than God or heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep, oxen, yes, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent, majestic, and glorious is your name in all the earth. God did not give authority to animals. He did not give authority to fish. He did not, maybe to sharks, but you know, he, he did not. He gave you and I authority. And this authority, if we don't value what God has given us by becoming a people of prayer, we're going to use our authority in a wrong way. Because we're not going to be sensitive to the voice of God, to the Word of God. We're going to go about life in our own understanding. And doesn't the Scripture tell us clearly, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. What does that sound like? It sounds like a lifestyle of prayer, my friend. The more I commune with God, the more I want to show kindness to others. The more I realize that I'm absolutely nothing before God and He's everything. 
The more I see him provide and work miracles and, and, and change people's lives and use people in ways that they never thought that they could be used by God. And he opens up doors and he makes our path straight over and over. I've seen this for decades now. And I'm more convinced the older I get, I'll be 50 years old in October, and the older I get, I only realize that it only makes sense for me in the second part of my life to give myself to Him and His presence and His Word because nothing else that I'm going to do really matters outside of what the will of God is. Let's read some scripture here. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 to 16, we read about David's communion with God and how it's revealed. It says, Now therefore, this is God speaking to the prophet on behalf of David. He said, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Well, he's not just... <laughs> He's, he's the Lord of everything, my friend. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler of my people, over my people, over Israel. He took a shepherd. You might think that you can't do much of anything. You don't have the education. You can't sing, you know, and look as handsome as Pastor Buddy. But I will tell you this, that God has a grace and a gift upon your life. And if you will meet with him, he'll take you from being shepherd boy to being the shepherd of and a king. He says, and I have been with you, David, wherever you have gone. And I have cut all your enemies from before you and made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on earth. Do you want to be known and be great for the kingdom of God? Friend, I, I do. I'm not saying I want to be known necessarily before men. I can care less about that. I care about being known before the Lord of hosts. I, I, my goal is to want to be well known in heaven. And so whatever, whatever type of understanding people have about me or have about you in this life, that really doesn't matter. We should live to impress God. We should live a secret life of absolute communion and devotion to the Lord. He says, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant, will plant them and they will dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Amen, Maranatha. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Listen, when you are communing with God, God will establish you. I, this Dream Center idea and wanting a place for the church to be able to not have to keep moving and, and, and struggling with space and kids. I mean, we had enough kids in here to probably almost fill this room. That's a good problem to have. But I, I want to commune with God so that we could show kindness to these kids because some of these kids, their parents do not come here. And they come faithfully every week because people are showing them kindness. And you know what's going to happen? God's going to take some of those little shepherd boys and girls and turn them into kings. He's going to use them for the glory of God. 
He's going to use them, their testimony, their life to change the city. Who knows, we might have the future president of the Philippines in our community. Why not? Verse 11, since the time that I commanded wicked judges to be over my people Israel and I've caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make your house. Maranatha. He will make your house. Do you believe that? And then if we look in 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 13, we read about David's communion with God led him to show kindness to Saul's grandson or his son Jonathan's son. Verse 1, now David said, Is there anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? How many of you know that when God, when you grow in communion with God and he establishes your confidence and your intimacy with him that there's this change that takes place in your heart and you say I want to show kindness I want to it, it's the scripture my friend love the Lord your God with all of your heart mind soul and strength and then love your neighbor as you love yourself you can't do the, the second one without the first one and when you do it that way it changes things and people around you. So he wanted to show kindness to Saul's family. Saul tried to kill David on multiple occasions. <laughs> Saul hated, he was jealous of David. And God pulled the kingdom away from Saul and anointed David as the king. And David had multiple opportunities to kill Saul himself. And people were already prophesying and saying, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. People would have been behind him like that. But David didn't take shortcuts. He didn't take shortcuts. His communion with God is what guided him to show kindness to people who didn't deserve it. There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness? Ziba said to the king, there's still the son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. He can't walk. So the king asked him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker to the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, I think that's how you say it. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, or the grandson of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here's your servant. Here's a guy lame in his feet, falling on his face before King David. Why? Because he's probably deathly afraid of how his grandpa treated David and what that might mean for him. Why is he calling me to his palace? 
So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. <laughs> well, what kind of transfer took place there? Well, there was something that was happening between David and God that gave him a love for other people that he didn't have naturally. Do not fear, I will surely show you kindness for your Jonathan, your father's sake. And restore you to the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat the bread at my table. I'm going to give you back the inheritance that you, was, should have been given to you from your grandfather. But because he was killed and the kingdom was taken away from him. And I have been meeting with God in communion. I feel a sense of responsibility to let you know that there's still an inheritance for you. Oh, friend, I hope you heard what I just said. Because there's people all around us that don't know that there's an inheritance for them unless somebody cares enough about not their own inheritance only, but what God will do in the lives of other people. How deeply are you in communion with the Lord? Is it deep enough to where God can show His heart for you, not only to your neighbor, but what about other countries? What about other people groups? What about other people who have offended you or people who have caused you pain and suffering? My friend, I'm telling you, the gospel message is so powerful that if you'll just commune with God, He'll change you and change lives around you. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? This is Saul's grandson saying this. A dead dog. You know what a dog was often related to in the scripture? Gentiles. <laughs> Why? Remember Jesus' encounter with the woman who, who um, was asking, I think, Jesus to heal uh, her child and then Jesus said I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel he came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile why not because he loved more one more than the other but simply because that was God's way to fulfill his plan of redemption he chose a specific people group that he would be faithful to and in the process he would reconcile the whole world to himself so when he came to his own, and his own didn't necessarily receive him, but he still healed, and he still worked miracles, and he still raised the dead and cast out demons. While he's doing that, this Gentile woman is looking, saying, hey, can you do that for me too? And he said, no, this is for the children's bread. He was talking about for the Jewish people. And then this woman's faith came out, and she said, well, even the crumbs that fall from the master's table the dogs will eat it up she didn't care about what people thought about her as a dead dog she said you alone have the words to eternal life I see something in you that I've never seen in anybody else let me ask you are we revealing Jesus like that to those around us are we showing people that we are such a people that are committed to 
the place of prayer and intimacy and communion with God, whether it be individually or corporately or in small groups, so that they can sense that there's something different, not only about us, but what the Lord wants to do in their life. The king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's son and that all belong to Saul in this house. You therefore, your sons, work the land for him. He's, he's putting other people in charge so this guy who can't walk makes sure that he's taken care of, that his land is cultivated. Now he's telling Mephibosheth to eat at his table every day. You will eat with me. Friend, this is the gospel. The gospel's not about you just prospering and being in good health for yourself. The gospel is about that you realize Jesus gave everything to you for you, and so you should give everything to Jesus. And in the process of doing so, it will cost you something. The price that Jesus paid for you and me, we will never have to pay. But when we look at how much he loves us and how much we don't deserve what he did for us, it makes us think, I like to put into practice what you have done for me to those around me. Look at in this verse 11, it says, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. You know, these kids in the feeding program, Casey and I didn't, you know, they didn't grow up with us, but those kids are our kids. They are. We look at them like that. We're not taking them from their parents. But we're saying that we are committed to you. We are committed to making sure that you get fed every week that you get discipled. And not only us, but we have different people who serve in the feeding program and some have for absolutely many, many years. And now some of those kids are rising up and they're learning how to commune with God and learning how to show kindness to others. David's communion with God became the cornerstone that established his kingdom. In Acts 13, verses 21 through 23, it says, afterward, they asked for a king. Speaking of Israel, they're asking for Saul. God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, took him out of his kingly authority because he didn't obey God, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all, say all, of my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. David's intimacy, communion with God became the cornerstone that God built off of that one day Jesus Christ would be revealed. You can have such communion with God that God will reveal himself to people personally around you. 
David's communion with God prepared the way for Jesus to become our cornerstone. Aren't you thankful for that? And Isaiah 28, 16, it says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. They're talking about Jesus. And David prepared the way. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, ever read the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes ephesians 2 19 through 22 now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god We're talking about this all goes back to the communion cornerstone that David had with God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Listen, our communion with God is like a cornerstone and a foundation that's hidden in the ground. Yeah, open that. Thank you. I got a stone. And this just isn't any stone, my friend. This is unique. Back in May, when we went to the United States, somebody had messaged me. Thank you, brother. You can leave it right there. Somebody had messaged me that the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry the buildings the property is was bought out and all the buildings are being destroyed so Brownsville Church is still in another piece of property that's separate from where the school but that was kind of a heavy thing to feel and those of you who remembered Pastor Jason Duran from Alabama I messaged Jason I said hey bro I heard that they're taking down the school ministry building and in the school ministry building there was a chapel and it was it was pretty big it was I mean it wasn't huge you could probably seat about eight to ten people maybe maybe a few more and it was a circular shape and it was not too tall and it just had one door and people just go in there and pray and I spent a lot of time in that house of prayer different people Mike Bailey being one of them different people that you've met Jason Duran people that we, we would cry out to God in that place and, and that property before it was a Brownsville Revival School of Ministry was a school of ministry of another school called Liberty and it was very much like the Brownsville Revival School where you had all these zealous young men and women who got saved and want to be discipled. And so there were literally hundreds, probably thousands of people who prayed in that prayer chapel. People visiting the revival probably went there and prayed. It was pretty spectacular. So I messaged Jason and I said, Jason, I heard they're taking the chapel down. I said, and they're about two hours away from Pensacola maybe a little longer and I said 
I don't know what you think about this, but what would you think about seeing if you could get the chapel and remove the whole thing and put it on your church property? And he said, that's a great idea. Who do I contact? And so I didn't know. And then I went to Pensacola within the next week or two. And when I got there, my mother-in-law, Casey's mom, told me that they had already knocked everything down. But without her knowing that I was talking to Jason about that house of prayer, she said, but I got you a stone. It's part of the foundation stone from the prayer chapel at the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. And I said, are there any more? And she got me several of them. And I sent six of them in the mail to other houses of prayer, people that were uh, part of the revival that I thought they would like that. It was kind of fun going to the post office and they're saying, what do you want to send in the mail today, sir? I'd like to send a brick today. Thank you. <laughs> okay, sir. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I got one. And, you know, it's just a brick. It's got dust on it still. You can, it's on my hands again here. But this stone has a lot of meaning behind it. And I'm believing God that I'm going to be able to put it in that backyard. I'm going to be able to say that this is, what we're doing is we're extending the kindness of the communion that we experience during the Pensacola revival. Not, not just because if it's a, a, a building, but what I'm saying is that I believe that the Spirit of God has done so much in all of our lives that as we seek the Lord and say, God, we want to establish a house of prayer here. We want to be an evangelistic community. We want our identity to be a discipleship, a worshipful community. I mean, every time we come here on Sunday and this worship team gets to worship and lead us in worship, I want to tell you, we are so blessed as a community. You know, when a cornerstone of prayer is laid, God can lay a kingdom foundation. When the kingdom foundation is laid, God will place His living stones accordingly. When the living stones are placed, God will divinely decorate His building. And when the building is decorated, we can use the building to show kindness to the lost. I believe God's leading our church to reveal our communion with Him to the community around us. Not, not just Agdell, but and, and not even just Davao City. I mean, we have almost 40 churches in different places and I think there's so many more places we need to extend to. I think some of you will be trained and equipped and sent out. I believe that. Absolutely I do. A ministry built without prayer will, number one, seek the Lord's cornerstone for blessing, but not inspire us to build off of His sacrifice. We'll say, God, yeah, we'll pray, but can you meet my needs? Now, there's nothing wrong with asking God to meet your needs. In fact, God likes for us to do that. But if we only go to a place of prayer, asking God to meet our needs, we'll never turn our prayer into intercession. And God is looking for men and women to stand in the gap. 
He's looking for people in this city who will be like Abraham, who said, God, would you not destroy the city? You know, what about Moses standing in the gap between Israel and Pharaoh? There's different people. Jeremiah stood in the gap and watched Jerusalem be ransacked by the Babylonians. But he stood in the gap and they call him the weeping prophet because he was an intercessor. And God said, from your communion, I will show kindness. I will bring Israel back. And he fulfilled his promise. Daniel fulfilled his promise to God. He was a teenage boy who was taken during that time of the Babylonians and he was brought to Babylon and he was forced, they tried to force him to eat foods that would compromise his, his position as a Jew. And he said, no, I'm not going to eat that stuff. And then they wanted to kill him on multiple occasions and he wouldn't die. And then he gets a place of authority that eventually helps lead Israel back to Jerusalem. Number two, a ministry built without prayer will build off of leaders who look impressive in the flesh but are not led by the Holy Spirit. I, I've seen it too many times. And, and, and I, what are you saying? That we don't have good leadership here? No, total opposite. We have great leadership here. We have incredible leadership here. But let me tell you something. Leaders are just as susceptible to fall as anybody else. And the day that we think that we're just so strong and we're never going to fall, my friend, we're fighting against a devil who's been doing this for thousands of years and you're not the first one he's dealt with. So... Does that mean we live in fear? Not at all. It means we live in a place of prayer. And God gives us boldness and courage to stand up as a people to say, we will live holy. We will live pure. We will live in integrity. And even when somebody wants to give us things that we know isn't the Lord's doing, we're not going to try and make anything happen. We're not going to kick down doors, try and get God to do something for us by twisting His arm. I mean, there's so many things that leaders do that isn't led by the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm not going to say that I've always been perfect. Not at all. But I will say that I want to commune with God so that when we show kindness to people around us, they're not looking to us and saying, you're just the most amazing man of God. You know what? If, if Eric Miller's name fades in a distance and Jesus' name is placed as a priority, that's all that matters. That, that's really it. And I'm not just saying that to impress you. I'm saying that because I really want God to move. I really want God to do what only He could do. I really want demons to come out of people. I really want to see the sick healed. I really want to see a transformation in our community and city beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. A ministry built without prayer will decorate a ministry based on structure and not intimacy, marriage, and family. You know why I love our community? Because we're full of families. There's kids everywhere. Every corner. There's probably one back there. I love that. Keep having babies. Seriously, don't be afraid to have kids. 
don't listen the government whatever restrictions that they say whether it be the Philippine government or some other government the point is God said be fruitful and multiply that's challenging isn't it why is that challenging because it causes you to walk by faith (laughs) but I can tell you from personal experience See, it's always funny to me that people laugh at a commandment that God said. Okay, Lord. Number four, a ministry built without prayer will allow its facilities to become its identity and not become responsible to make disciples. I'm not asking God for property in a building so that we could show people how awesome we are. Lord, if you think that that would cause pride in our hearts, then we don't need it. But Lord, if you know we'll use it for your glory, then help us get what we need so that we can make your name famous, Jesus. I'm going to read one last scripture and we'll be done. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak. Other versions say they shall contend with the enemy at the gate. You remember when the Chronicles of Narnia movies came out? When the first one came out, the lion, witch, and wardrobe, I think that's what it was. My kids had, were really young. Sierra was little. And we only had four of them at the time. Hannah was not around yet. Hannah was with Jesus, just cooking. <laughs> and David was just real tiny. And it was four kids, right, in the movie? Two girls, two boys. That was the whole thing, and that's what we had. <laughs> And I was leaving Ladislawa playing basketball one night, you know, just, you know, winning like, like we do all the time. And then, uh, and as we're leaving, house we used to rent, if you go through the Bohangan Gate, it's the first house left side. We used to rent that house, but we had to move out because it was sold and the owner wanted too much money and we said, we'll go. We moved to Lanang and then we moved from Lanang back to Ladislaw in another house and we've had apartments in Obrero. We've, we've moved all over the city, my friend. We're, we're kind of like Israel. We just kind of <laughs> wander a little bit, you know. So I'm leaving one night and the Lord says... Um, call that number, you're going to move back into that house. I'm thinking, what? Now, we had just gotten the building here. Now, you've heard me share the story that we had this building. This used to be our church called His Mission Christian Fellowship a long time ago. 
where I was a pastor. Couldn't you imagine that? Isn't that scary? <laughs> and I didn't want to be the pastor. <laughs> I'll tell you, anybody who was here. And, uh, and that's one of the main reasons why we ended up coming to Maranatha. And I did not want to leave this building because I wanted to continue to have an outreach here in Agdell. And I didn't know how we were going to do all that. And we didn't have the money to do that because we had to put the money for fire school in the building in Bohonging. And so we, now we're already at Maranatha. We outgrew the building in uh, Bohonging. And Mam Gina buys, of MX3, buys this building. And somebody sets up a meeting with me and her. I think maybe Pauline was there and some others. And we go and meet with her. She says, what do you need? I described her what we need. She said, I just bought a building. She describes it to me. And I said, is that 55 R. Castillo Street? She said, yes. How did you know? I said, you bought the building that I never wanted to leave. <laughs> so we come back here. So I'm leaving Ladislawa after all that takes place. And the Lord says, you're moving back in the house. He said, call that number. I call the number. Guess who bought the house? Mam Gina. <laughs> And they wanted more money than Eric had. And I said, well, I really can't do that. And I don't want to tell you what I'm going to ask for because I feel like I, would, I don't want you to think I'm disrespecting or dishonoring. And I said, just say it. And I told them the price that we used to rent it years ago. And I said, I don't want to put all kinds of money into a house. I want to be able to use whatever we can for the ministry. And the, her uh, secretary calls me back and says, Ma'am Gina said, go ahead and take the house for what you're asking for and put your money into the ministry. It's awesome. So when we moved back into that house, those Narnia movies came out, and it was all about these kids contending at the gate, right? The closet. They, they go through the gate into Narnia, and my kids were like all in love with these movies and I'm looking at it and the Lord says your children will contend with the enemy at the gate it was very clear and I was I was like well what does that mean what, what are you gonna do with my kids <laughs> but I felt like the Lord was making it clear that he had his hand on our kids lives and that he was gonna multiply our efforts through our kids and not only our kids but those who the Lord's given us the ability to disciple and pour into over the years I want to encourage you parents especially with little ones do not teach your kid to stare at an iPad and a phone all day long especially if they're here in church well I just can't keep their attention well then how did Jesus do it 2,000 years ago Really? I mean, this is only the last, like, 20, 30 years that we had cell phones. And we can't live without them now. My point is this. How else are your kids going to learn how to worship God, walk in obedience, learn how to commune with God and show kindness to others if you don't train them? We have people all the time, I'm sure to Valdez too, how do you raise godly kids? Number one, take your cell phone and throw it in the street. Look, at home, 
we look at those things. We, we mess with our phones and iPads and all the computer goofy stuff. But I'll tell you this. We, don't, we have limited times when we're on it. Our kids have limited times, don't they, Hannah? We train them because we want them to not miss God when He's moving. Your kid, when Ati Libo is singing and they're worshiping the Lord and the Spirit of God and the glory of God is moving all over the place and your kid's looking at Barney, my friend, don't, don't make Jesus compete with Barney. Seriously. I, we want to help you. You know why we want to have this prayer initiative? Because we want you to teach your kids how to hear the voice of God. I want you to teach your kids. But my kid's so wild. Do you know that Sierra was the most wild, strong-willed child that we had? And all of you, most of you know her, and you're like, really? Yeah, now she's a pioneer missionary in Japan. Serving God with all of her heart. Watching God open up doors that are just amazing. How does that stuff happen? We have to be intentional about it. I'm talking about our communion with God and with one another. It matters. The cornerstone of what we're laying in a place of prayer here in this community. I'm, I'm hoping you, I know you hear me talk about these things in the past. But I really believe that in order for us to continue to have longevity and be successful in the ministry, our prayer platform has to increase. It has to. And I'm not talking about just our own intimate devotional closet time with the Lord. I'm talking about when we come together, whether it be small groups or larger gatherings. In 2 Corinthians 13, the last chapter of that book, in verse 14, Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.